Welcome to the International Civil Society Centre's Futures and Innovation podcast. I'm Vicky Tung, Head of Futures and Innovation here at the Centre. During our three days together, we'll be exploring three different dimensions of power. Deconcentrating data and digitalisation, decolonising aid and organisational structures, and embracing new power. I'd now like to move to our first session and introduce our keynote speaker for today, who I know will set our minds racing with key things to consider for accelerating inclusive power shift in data and digitalization. Our keynote speaker is Nanjira Sambuli, who is a member of the UN Secretary General's High Level Panel for Digital Cooperation, a fellow in the Technology and International Affairs Programme at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace and a Ford Global Fellow. Welcome, Nanjira. We're really looking forward to hearing what you've got to say. Thank you. Thank you. And good day to all of you. I trust you're well wherever you're tuning in from. Today, I have the pleasure to address you, and hopefully there'll be some time to take any quick fire questions that may come up based on what I share today. I will speak to narratives on digital innovation, and more broadly, the pandemic's effect on sharpening these and propose a way forward. Starting with innovation, it, you know, it punctuates a lot of talk on digitalization and data-driven approaches to solving challenges. There are new approaches to and scenarios where the innovative use of digital technologies in an appropriate and contextual manner can indeed support solutions to intractable and interconnected societal challenges. Yet the key words to note here alongside innovation ought to be appropriate, context-specific, sustainable, to name a few. All too often, Digital innovation is framed as a one-size-fits-all, and if it works in X, it will work in Y setting. This is a paradigm that international civil society organizations should continually critique in other sectors' work as well as your own. Innovation is not necessarily about the flashy and the latest technology fad. Digital innovation can still concern itself with the boring yet incremental ways to improve processes and support your missions and visions. It can still be the case, for example, that community level use of data and data literacy is as analog as chats and infographics on posters outlining the information that a community should have for civic awareness and engagement, such as how their local government has or plans to spend taxpayers' money. The back end could be as simple, in quotes, as Excel sheets with manual data input for analysis, or as complex as the use of machine learning and algorithms to query fast data sets. Either way, if guided by the end goal of using data to support civic engagement, form should follow function as the old saying goes. And given the pressures of tech fads where everybody is feeling the pressure to adopt to them, it's very easy for civil society to also fall prey to technology solutionism which is this assumption that every challenge can be solved by more and newer technology. But this deterministic approach has unleashed a whole range of adverse outcomes, and they're usually billed as unintended consequences. Now, the field of ICT for development is littered with examples of how this techno-solutionism has diverted otherwise laudable missions and has introduced inequalities and harms in the process. So on digital innovation, Civil society has a dual role in my view. One is of challenging the prevailing market narratives and the hype and doing this while informed by the insights and experiences of the communities you serve 
while also subjecting your own digital innovation approaches to critical analysis, intense consultation, however time consuming, with the communities you serve, and having the fortitude to say no to approaches that are not adequately tested. What we hear as move fast and great things cannot permeate the digitalization that civil society promotes and adopts. Now, this is particularly salient with artificial intelligence and the promises and perils it presents. Any use of algorithms to determine socioeconomic outcomes, such as welfare distribution, credit worthiness, or any other application to civil society work should not proceed until elements of explainability, transparency, accountability, to name a few, are incorporated right from design to deployment of AI-based solutions. And I want to speak a bit more to AI because it's become a technology that is concerning us all. We hear about it everywhere. The basic premise is that it will provide objectivity and neutrality with the same rules applying to everyone. Another premise is that it's data in and insight out. So in this paradigm, AI and data seem like quick fixes to complex or long-standing problems. But this premise is also a ground zero for many troubles that down the line are often again dubbed as unintended consequences. Now, the data, which is the raw material feeding the artificial intelligence systems, is people's complexities being reduced to ones and zeros, essentially. There usually are assumptions baked in from the outset, such that any talk of ethics or human rights concerns that's not done at that point can risk becoming mere patchwork down the line. AI solutions essentially introduce a kind of administrative universality in theory. In practice, this objectivity, this neutrality and universality can lead to harms and very real ones to people and communities. So another way to think of the prevailing AI premise and narrative is that Algorithms are opinions embedded in code, as Kathy O'Neill has put it. And another way to think about it is that if it's garbage, that is the data that we use fed in, you will get garbage in the form of insights churned out. So it's imperative that civil society, including those within the sector who wield influence on how resources and programming is conducted, familiarize themselves with the many dangers that the rush to using AI has already unleashed on communities. And it's often those who are already underserved and marginalized. Now your work, no matter how many years of experience, will not easily bypass this administrative universality that artificial intelligence and machine learning, however innovative, may embed at the design level. No amount of good intention can course correct for poor and inequitable design. Some basic rules of the road with technology more broadly to apply here, one, Technologies are not neutral. They never have been, they never will be. They are fashioned in the image of their creators and encode those biases and worldviews these creators have. If the communities that are to be served by the resulting tools aren't involved from the outset, we enter a reactive cycle of retrofitting their realities into these technologies, which can vi visit many harms and exclusions. One of my favorite examples to showcase this is Apple, when they first introduced the Apple Watch, and told us that it was this new innovative tool to help us monitor our health vitals and keep our fitness in check, completely overlooked the fact that for many women, the first reference point for health for us will be sexual and reproductive health. They had nothing in the offering for that. And it was a huge egg in face for them, but it's very indicative of the kind of exclusion at the design level. 
to many of us, it indicated that there aren't enough women involved in the design phases of Apple's innovative products. While the features were eventually introduced, that kind of precedent still remains in many sectors and in many innovative approaches to digitalization. Then another area to remember here is that technologies, as they are currently diffusing in the world, are amplifying existing inequalities, and not just in access to the technologies themselves, but also to the enabling and preceding factors, such as access to education, the gendered inequalities that exist across economic, political, and social cultural dimensions, to name a few. Then we often hear of this notion of leapfrogging, and especially in the context of developing countries, that we can bypass the pathways to digitization that we see elsewhere in the West, and we can get onboarded to the latest and the greatest tech. But this is a very dangerous notion when it's just applied writ large. Sure, we can leapfrog to wireless and mobile technologies as many communities have in the global South for connectivity. But we cannot leapfrog, for example, access to sustainable and reliable energy sources to power these devices in our hands, whether it's for education, for communication, or any other purpose. Similarly, we cannot leapfrog our way out of adverse social cultural norms that keep women and girls behind, forget about people with disabilities, um, and also disproportionately favor people in rural settings. Nor can we leapfrog our way out of unjust governance systems. Many of us live in such. We cannot leapfrog our way out of poor public policy, no matter how much technology we apply to the problem. Then the road to hell is usually paved with very, very good intentions. Now, where problematic civil society and developmental tropes intersect with poor technology design, we see not only uh, the widening of existing equalities, but also creation of new ones. For example, in the digital financial inclusion sector, We see a lot of digital innovation tools being deployed, couched in terms of serving the underserved, but in reality, often translating into intrusive, non-rights-respecting interventions and leading people to perpetual debt. For this, I would really refer you to an article that was on the Boston Review titled Perpetual Debt in the Silicon Savannah as one example of this compounding problem as seen in Kenya. Let me speak a bit to the pandemic's effects on digitalization. We've all experienced that catalytic effect this pandemic has brought on adoption of digital technologies across the board, and it's further blurring the lines between analog and digital. The basic rule is those who were already connected had relatively smoother transitions to going all digital. Those who were not yet connected, on the other hand, now risk being left further behind. And not all forms of work, for example, could leapfrog or switch to digital, and this was especially stark in essential services. And many of the technologies that were deployed to curb the spread of the pandemic have largely been designed to undermine security and privacy. With these bait and switch tactics, such as contact tracing apps that were deployed in some countries now being used by law enforcement to try and track criminals and crime, for example. Now, this is risking a paradigm where digitalization now proceeds at an unacceptable cost to our fundamental rights. And we've gotten here where there's so much investment in the shiny and unproven tech that is costing lives and is unsupported by the proven and what is demanded because often it's still profits, politics and efficiencies over people and societal complexities during this pandemic that have driven that kind of digitalization. And now we're faced with on a greater level with a question of what it really means to put people first in shaping politics 
and these efficiencies and ultimately even profits. The big risk is that there's a reluctance or an ineptitude to do what has been stated to be right. It's the will to get it done and get it done right that is not matching up. Human values such as resilience, empathy, compassion, community, aren't easily codified into machine learning or artificial intelligence tools or any other tech for that matter. So the question for civil society organizations is in adopting digital technologies in your work, how do you ensure you do not perpetrate this approach to digitalization of introduce the tech first, then think of the consequences later, while at the same time, sounding the alarm on the broader impacts of this digitalization on our rights to education, health, equality, the environment, labor rights, and so much more. This digitalization is going to continue to happen, but it is not without politics or without any context. It bears a lot of promise and it does present opportunities, but we cannot over rely on this premise to overlook the perils and the pitfalls that are already occurring. I think civil society has a moral responsibility to drive digitalization in your work that does not treat harms as unintended consequences or as afterthoughts. And to me, this presents an opportunity to deliberate within and across sectors, domains, and spheres. You need to situate the political, social, cultural, and economic realities within which you operate, alongside the hope and hype around digital, data, emerging technologies, and whatever else. Progress can be fast and slow, but most importantly, it has to be enfranchising. It has to be appropriate. It has to be rights respecting. It has to be sustainable in every context to which we introduce digital technologies. Another note, point I want to note here is that even when we talk of international civil society, we're not speaking of a monolith, nor is it a sphere of equals operating in one domain. Who typically comprises the international often is, the, is Western institutions. And this is affecting how narratives like digitalization in civil society's work is shaped and supported. Now the humility to cede room to the hyper-local actors who deal with the intricacies and complexities in diverse contexts in a daily basis is urgently needed because it will show us that maybe it's not the tech just yet. Maybe it's what we are considering too basic, too boring, that is the most important and transformative element to the societies we intend to serve. Accommodating this diversity of experiences within civil society is actually a strength that can collectively help in pushing for more inclusive and multi-stakeholder digital governance discussions because the governance of these technologies is just as important as the innovation dimension we often fixate on. The sector itself, that is the civil society sector itself, has to have its own reckoning if it's to take on the challenges ahead as digitalization permeates every sphere of life. I'll close with a quote from Naomi Klein that really sums it up pretty well. That tech provides us with powerful tools, but not every solution is technological. And this pandemic has laid bare that reality, if anyone was in doubt. We will do well to learn this lesson. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Nanjira, for the insights and the inspiration that you've shared with us in your speech that we can hold in our heads as we move through the content for the rest of the day. We did have one question that I think it's worth, um, if you could spend a couple of minutes reflecting. I think it was about the, the, the perils of artificial intelligence for persons with disabilities. If you just would be able to say a few words on that, please. Thank you. Sure. I mean, right from the outset, how many persons with disabilities have access to the tools to shape the artificial intelligence that then will govern their life? 
this is one particular technology that's not just about the point of deployment, it's very much about the point of design. And we need to see it from, the, from that systemic view. So if you do not have the people for whom this technology is supposed to work, you end up with outcomes where a technology, an AI-based tool is deployed, say, for public policy outcomes, but has not even considered people who may not have immediate access, who need special needs to access it. And that's just a very simplistic point of view. So we have to be very careful when talking about the unintended consequences, as I was speaking of, or the harms that technologies like AI can deploy, not just at the point of deployment, but really from where, who was deliberating on what was going to be coded or codified, who was consulted, who was excluded, what assumptions were baked in, and so on and so forth, till we get to the point where we can actually make sure we see how to explain why these technologies are producing the kinds of outcomes we see them producing. Thanks so much, Nanjira. 